0: Welcome to Addiction Unscripted, where we're having candid conversations on all things addiction, rehab, and mental health. Addiction Unscripted is brought to you by Canada's most comprehensive concurrent disorder inpatient, outpatient, and virtual addictions treatment, Trafalgar Addiction Treatment Centers. For more information on Trafalgar Addiction Treatment Centers, please visit us at www.trafalgarresidence.com. I'm your host Melissa Martin, I'm the Director of Community Partnerships for Trafalgar as well as a mental health counselor. Addiction doesn't discriminate. It affects people in every age group, socioeconomic status, and religious belief. It doesn't matter how much money you have, what type of work you do, whether you're a parent or where on earth you were born. Whether it's an addiction to alcohol, drugs, sex, gambling, or food, a common underlying cause is trauma. What lengths will we go to to numb emotional pain? How do we move past the shame and secrets that come along with experiencing a trauma? On this episode, Theo Flory joins me to talk about how trauma is a human experience that binds us together and the freedom that comes with letting go of shame. Welcome and thank you for talking to me today, Theo.
1: Yeah, no worries.
0: So I just finished your book. Uh, playing with fire, you have an exceptional memory. The detail in um, your your plays and your time in hockey um, and not only, you know, your personal experience aside, how do you recall so much detail?
1: <laughs> uh, I'm not sure, you know. I, and especially with all the concussions I had in my career too, it's uh, kind of remarkable that uh, you know, I remembered so many things but when you you know when you play hockey for the majority of your life, you know you I think there are cer- always certain things that stand out in your career, significant moments or mon- mundane things. But uh, uh, the person uh, who helped me write the book was very prepared and uh, was really great at asking questions and follow-up questions, and you know that allowed me to sort of jog you know, my memory and and remember, you know, a lot of the details, uh, you know, that she was looking for and, and uh, you know, wanted to be in the book.
0: It's so important, I think, to take a moment and pause and take notice of where we started and where we are at any particular time. It's the picture that it paints when we look back on our lives and what we see, how it's unfolded, good, bad, beautiful, ugly. <laughs> Um, and the questions that come up, do we have regrets and choices we've made? Uh, which are we proud of? Where would we want to do a do-over? And your book, Playing With Fire, does this very, very well. And I – are you familiar with Brene Brown? I'm sure you are familiar. Oh, yeah. 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 I, yep. yeah. Absolutely. I know you do a lot. You talk a lot on, on shame. And she talks about if we share we share a story, shame can't survive um, – vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. And of all things, trauma takes away from us. The worst is our willingness or even our ability to be vulnerable. There's a reclaiming that has to happen. And that was so clear when I read your book. Did you feel that after you finished writing, playing the fire, Did did you feel that there was a reclaiming before or was that part of the process?
1: Like, I think it evolves, you know, um, when I sat down to write the book there, I was only going to talk about my hockey career. That was it. (laughs) And, uh, you know, uh, you know, like I said earlier, the, the person that helped me write the book, first of all, you know, she made me feel safe and I, and I trusted her. Right. And then three years later, you know, we, finish the book and, you know, I tell the whole entire story and, and, you know, I was, I was, uh, really scared and fearful, uh, before I went out on the book tour because I didn't know how, you know, the public was going to react to, uh, what was in the book and what I quickly realized and discovered was that not only was i not in the minority but i was in the majority and and by me finding my own voice and putting a voice to my pain and suffering that i could also help other people do the exact same thing and you know that was 10 years ago and uh you know we're still out there helping people you know find their voice and you know talk about these things that uh you know we're afraid to talk about mm. and it and it comes from you know a place of vulnerability, you know I think when we're vulnerable uh that vulnerability creates safety, and then when you have safety, you know that's when the magic. Of healing happens is when people feel safe.
0: Two excerpts in particular I'd like to share. He said, The direct result of my being abused was that I became a fucking raging alcoholic lunatic. He destroyed my belief system. I didn't trust what I was thinking or feeling. My parents had not instilled a sense of right and wrong in me, but I had developed one thanks to my Russell coaches and the Peltz family. The most influential adult in my life at that time was telling me that what I thought was wrong. I no longer had faith in myself or my own judgment. And when you come down to it, that's all a person has. Once it's gone, how do you get it back? Graham was on me once or twice a week for the next two years, an absolute nightmare every day of my life. I worried constantly, what should I do? How the fuck do I get out of the situation? What if someone finds out? Will I go to hell for this? So when I was 16 years old and I took that first sip of alcohol, it was like snap medicine. I was like, oh, this is good stuff. Thinking back on that, that just stood out for me so much. You had been playing hockey uh, quite a bit, even up to, to age 16. You talk a lot about physical pain and emotional pain. Your tolerance for physical pain was out of this world looking back on that how do you see how do you see the differences in your tolerance in and how we tolerate physical pain versus emotional pain and what alcohol introduced you to
1: the brain does not uh, decipher between emotional or physical pain and so you know any kind of numbing agent you know whatever that is food sex drugs alcohol gambling you know whatever it is whatever you use as a as a numbing agent uh you know obviously works uh you know i would say for a short period of time but then and especially if you don't deal with Either side of it, whether that's emotional or physical, if you don't deal with it, eventually that coping mechanism, you know, stops working and then you're faced with, you know, with a choice and a decision. And I was, you know, I was there, what, 16 years ago where, you know, I had the gun in my mouth and, you know, I was ready to end my life, not because I wanted to die, but, you know, I was exhausted from living in pain you know, the majority of my life. And like I said, nothing was working anymore. And so, you know, I said, I better try something different. And uh, and and that was getting into, you know, healing and therapy and and you name it. And so I've done every kind of therapy known to mankind, I think. You know, along the way, you know, whether it was a treatment center or a therapist or you know, whatever it was, you know, I collected a bunch of tools, you know, that I use today, you know, that keeps me, you know, on the straight and narrow 24 hours at a time. And so, you know, I also tell people that, yeah, I'm in therapy for the rest of my life and, you know, I'm okay with that. And, uh, you know, part part of the stigma that we face is that therapy means you're weak and you know, all these catchphrases, uh, you know, that are attached to to therapy, but, you know, I, I found, you know, all types of therapies, all types of modalities to be very, very helpful, uh, in allowing me to, you know, have this uh life that I have now and as opposed that- to the as as opposed me- to the you know the chaotic crazy you know existence that i had 14 years ago
0: do you miss any of that or has that gone away in time
1: it goes away
0: yeah yeah Yeah. and you are um you're doing a lot of talking and awareness on um mental health and and trauma i listen to um your presentation at the trauma healing and the brain um, that you did in Red Deer, which, Mm -hmm. which was really, really informative. I love your quote. My greatest adversity is my greatest gift to watch you talk about what you've been through. um, What, what are those adversities? If you could, could name them, because a lot of people don't look at it like that, especially when you're going through it. So somebody who is going through, a lot of trauma um, and, a, and addiction and emotional pain isn't necessarily going to um, see what they're going through as a gift or a growth opportunity.
1: Well, I think that I think that comes with um, I think that comes with time mm-hmm. and patience. You know, us addicts and alcoholics, we are not good with patience you know, if we want something, we go and get it. And, uh, you know, and so some, you know, that's why, you know, we wrote, uh, the chapter in conversations with a rattlesnake called sitting in your shit, because part of the process of healing is that you have to sometimes sit in uncomfortability and actually feel, you know, those feelings instead of running away from them or numbing them out or, whatever it is, because, you know, if we don't understand, you know, how it, is, like, you know, I couldn't even identify if I was happy, sad, mad, glad. I, I didn't, I didn't have any concept of that. I was always running away from, you know, from my feelings. And, you know, the process of healing and recovery is to, you know, sit in the uncomfortability of, whatever we're feeling and be able to identify and then be able to have the conversation when we are, you know, anxious, depressed, sadness, loneliness, emptiness, you know, all those things are, you know, things that we have to learn and be able to, uh, and, and realize that, you know what, this is, this is part of, being a human being and and living you know on this planet is that you know not every day is going to be you know rainbows and unicorns uh you know we are gonna face adversity and we're gonna struggle because there are lessons you know in the pain and in the suffering which give us the tools you know to be able to live life on life's terms and so You know, I talk about, um, you know, my parents being a gift, my abuser being a gift, you know, in my life. Because without those experiences, guess what? I'm not talking to you uh, today or I'm not speaking or, you know, I'm not doing conferences or whatever it is. And so, you know, um, you know, I've been able to find the positive in the most extreme negative Mm. that people would perceive, you know, that to be, and it's, it's really, um, quite, uh, interesting when I, when I'm on the stage and, and I talk about, you know, Graham James, my abuser being a gift in my life and to see, you know, the look on people's faces, uh, Um, is quite interesting because, you know, um, I think we have to eventually get there uh, in order to, you know, move forward.
0: I think that it also helps to keep us from staying in a victimized space.
1: No question. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, the victim role is... is you know totally warranted and you know people end up staying in that space for for a long time but uh you know what we know about uh addictions is, is eventually we get to that rock bottom place where we you know we eventually you know have to make that choice and have to make that decision to you know get rid of the coping mechanisms and and face the the truth and the pain and the suffering and face it all and and change it and you know the the brain and and the body are incredibly resilient and uh you know whatever behavior is learned can be unlearned and retrained and rewired and you know all that stuff so it's just pretty exciting stuff when you think about it
0: it is and i think that when you come through trauma um and difficult experiences i think one of the one of the biggest things i've learned is that we are so much we're so much stronger than we give ourselves credit for and so much more resilient
1: yeah there's no question there is no question that uh you know we we can we can go through a lot and and uh you know still come out on the other end uh Uh, a way better person and it, but it's, you know, um, it's those experiences, uh, you know, that we need along the way in order to, you know, to learn. And unfortunately pain is, you know, one of those things. And, but, you know, pain is a great motivator for change because it tells you there's something wrong in your world or your universe that, you know, needs to change. And, and how do you change that? Well, usually you'll talk to somebody or you need to, you know, be around people who, you know, are in recovery and, you know, on a path of healing. And, you know, you you learn from those people and, and their experiences. That's why I always say that the, the greatest, uh, cheapest type of therapy is, and the, probably the most effective, is group therapy. Mm. Because you you get into a room full of people who've had the similar experience and you use vulnerability to create safety and you know once you have safety then you know the majority of those people start to stand up and talk about their you know what happened to them and and uh and then you know you don't feel alone and uh you don't feel like you're the only person who's ever gone through whatever you've gone through
0: what's been your biggest takeaway from treatment
1: Well, I think the person has to be ready because if they're not ready, then, you know, I think it's a waste of time. But, you know, for me, I was able to pick up tools, you know, along the way. You know, I, I, I used to say that my old toolbox was filled with, you know, addiction and chaos and, you know, all this stuff. And then, You know, I had to switch out the toolbox and, you know, acquire, you know, different tools and different coping mechanisms that, you know, are part of my daily routine now that helped me, you know, stay sober for, you know, the last 14 years. And so, you know.
0: What's in the
1: toolbox? Well, there's lots. There's meditation, there's therapy, there's spiritual practices, you know, breathing, exercise, you know, Mm. you name it. You know all healthy ways of you know coping with uncomfortability.
0: So you've been sober 14 years. Mm-hmm. Have you had any relapses? Nope. No, that's remarkable.
1: Yep, I've been very lucky.
0: What can you What can you attribute the most to that? Um, because in I think this you've probably seen with it with addiction relapse does happen um it is yeah right it, relapse is a part of recovery
1: mm-hmm. you know i would say there's very few people who get it on the first go around you know yeah. and and that uh you know relapse is part of recovery because you know as we're at- acquiring these tools that we need to stay sober one day at a time you know there, there's going to be times when, you know, we, you know, we sort of fall off the wagon because you know we get overwhelmed and and uh, you know we we go back to what we know until we find something better.
0: And the last 14 years wasn't your first go around either. No,
1: it took me it took me 10 years to get 14 years. Right, <laughs> yeah. as I always say it right. took so 10 years to get working so, yeah
0: so, yeah cuz you you were in a residential center in yeah. 2001 was that your first attempt
1: well when did I start i think I, 1999 was the first treatment center i went to and then i you know subsequently went to three more after that so um you know but like I said, you know, I did relapse after each uh, facility that I was in. But, you know, uh, I picked up a lot of the tools that I use today, you know, that I acquired, you know, in those other places.
0: You were seen as a pretty tough guy. When I I say that, I say that with uh, and in talking about mental health and asking for help. Um, it's it's not a negative or a positive. I think there's a lot of stereotypes and stigmas, so I think that this is a really helpful conversation for, for some listeners who are afraid to ask for help because of what it looks like. Well, I'm strong, I'm a man, I'm tough. You're seen in this, this certain light. hmm Could you have done this on your own?
1: No. No, I tried. Mm-hmm. I tried I tried to do it on my own, yeah. and I failed miserably every time. If you think you can do this on your own, good luck. Hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and if you figure it out, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Recovery isn't about being a tough guy, you know? Recovery is about, you know, being vulnerable, being open, being honest, you know? And talking about, you know, those feelings and, you know, I, I, I just, I, I don't think I've met anybody who, you know, has
0: done it on their own. You had said in an interview, the biggest epidemic on earth is mental health. Mm -hmm. What tools have you learned and what tools are you teaching when you talk with people? Um, that are making the biggest impact on this? Because I think you had said we have enough awareness, right? We have awareness of mental health. Now what do we do? Well, you
1: know, I think first and foremost is, you know, we have to get away from big pharma and that there are a whole bunch of, you know, holistic practices that, you know, have been used for thousands of years that are more effective than, you know, using what I call synthetic brain chemistry to, you know, help you regulate your brain chemistry. So I talk a lot about spirituality, you know, holistic practices, which is, you know, if I eat better, if I exercise, and if I practice some sort of spirituality, it's like probably the best kind of brain chemistry you can give yourself.
0: What's your favorite practice in a 24-hour period that helps you the most?
1: It really depends where I'm at during the day. You know, if I'm, you know, having anxiety or depression, you know, I usually try to meditate or, you know, do some breathing exercises. Or the biggest thing is when you're anxious and depressed and you got to move. You know, Mm
0: -hmm. moving is the hardest thing to do.
1: Yeah, moving is the hardest thing to do, but when we do it, it completely changes, you know, our our chemistry and allows us to get out of those times when we're anxious or depressed. The hardest time of the year is the wintertime for me, it's because, you know, in the summertime, I play a lot of golf. To me, golf is like meditation, and so because I can't golf in the wintertime, I get, I get into lots of depressive and anxious states, you know, because I can't do, you know, the one thing that sort of keeps me sane and keeps me healthy and that's, you know, playing golf. And I don't I don't play hockey anymore, I don't skate anymore, so winter time is the hardest time for me.
0: Is that a conscious choice that that you've made or
1: Yeah, it's just it's just I get stuck in that state, you know, during the winter, whatever it is. But I know this is part of my process, this is part of me needing to learn something and so I sit in the uncomfortability of it and try to understand or I go see somebody or I talk about it. Or.
0: And I love how you say you sit in the uncomfortability. I think that that's one of the tools and the skills that we need to learn from from day one from when we're little. I think we're sold this story of we are born, we grow up, we go to school, we have career, whether it's choice of family, kids, and we live happily ever after. And there is so much in between that we are not equipped to handle and um, teaching teaching our children and future generations that things get messy and they get ugly and they get uncomfortable and we're not always happy and it doesn't always feel good.
1: That's it right there. Mm-hmm.
0: And we can't, we can't always numb it. We have to feel it in order to move through it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, that's part of the stigma is that, you know, when you tell people that, they, they don't believe it. You know, they don't believe that sitting in pain is a part of the, you know, part of the process of
0: healing. You know? And it's a beautiful the process. It really is. Yeah, it doesn't absolutely. feel it at the yeah. time. Absolutely not. No. no. When you, you come know, through it's, it, the learning
1: part, okay. so that we we don't have to go through it again. But the thing about lessons is, if we don't get them the first time, they always come back until we get them.
0: <laughs> they do, don't they? And I think the beauty of it is, I think every time you do sit through it, it, it this magic happens when you when you walk through it. It's like. Uh, it's like another, like a another blind or another layer is lifted from your eyes and you can see things that were there all the time, but they were just blocked. And another blind goes up and you see things in a totally different way. You see other people and how you interact and how you feel.
1: Yeah, I call them light bulb moments.
0: Light bulb moments. Yeah.
1: Because when the light bulb goes off, right? Yep then we know oh okay i got the lesson there it is
0: some of them are hard (laughs) they're hard lessons oh yeah yeah
1: but life life is difficult at times right it's not always going to be like i said unicorns and rainbows
0: it's not all unicorns and rainbows no
1: (laughs) no (laughs) no we'd sure love it to be that way but you know
0: i think life would be kind of boring it would You have to have the downs to appreciate the ups, that old cliche, which I hate, but it's true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How has interaction with your family and friends changed pre-treatment or before you, you know, stopped with drinking and drugs? Your, Your relationships with family and friends, I'm... Sure, evolved and, and changed dramatically. Did you lose friends? Did you find that you had to do things differently? How did your family dynamics change?
1: I learned about boundaries, right? You know, because I learned about boundaries, you know, I, a lot of those people that were in my life are, you know, no longer in my life because, you know, I, I want to live a very drama-free life. And a lot of, you know, the people that were around me were obviously sick as well. And, you know, that sickness causes a lot of drama. The more I'm around drama, the more likely it is I'm going to drink again. You know, having healthy boundaries, you know, keeps me way further away from, you know, falling into, you know, those old habits and, and reaching back, you know, use those old ways of dealing with,
0: you know family so in your book this kind of pertains to your relationships with family and friends so back when you were in the nhl substance abuse program you were being watched basically in everything for everything that you did and you said someone on the team had told the coach about you that's how i thought i could hide in new york but it turned out someone was spying on me i figured out who it is and to this day i have no time for this person but I won't mention his name because, unlike him, I'm not a rat. That's interesting. I, I find that interesting because you do talk about a lot of people knowing what was going on, but you were upset that somebody had told on you, basically.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, obviously I was not ready for help, right? Yeah. And here I was in this program with them trying to help me when I didn't want help.
0: Being forced right. into it because when you're not, yeah. you're not ready. You're, just, you're yeah. not going to be invested and,
1: and follow yeah. it. And so consequences didn't work, right? Ten years ago when I wrote the book, yeah, I still was angry and had a lot of resentments and stuff like that. And so today I feel you know completely different about what I said at that time.
0: Yeah, I was I was wondering if that had changed. No, oh, yeah. So I'm curious, what's your life like now? I feel like I have to go get your other book because it kind of, it stops in one place hearing about family and your life and and getting married. Um, and in my research, I did get to go on the Flurries home tour that you did in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Still in the same Mm -hmm.
1: place. Yeah. We're still in the same place. And, uh, you know, I, where am I at today? I'm, I'm better. Uh, am I where I want to be? No. Um, you know, and you know, that's why I always say I'm, I'm in therapy for the rest of my life. And, you know, I'm completely okay with that. You know, the, the thing is is that I have zero expectations that somebody has a magic wand that's just going to touch me on the top of my head and everything's going to go away. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm not safe, you know, it's just baby steps. Right. Like the last couple of years have been, you know, really interesting because I suffered more physical trauma than I, than I did emotional trauma because I played a physical sport. And so, you know, now that I, you know, I turned 50 a couple of years ago and, you know, all of this physical trauma that I neglected when I was playing and when I was working on my emotional and spiritual side are now at the forefront of what I do every day is, is because I'm in pain, right? I'm in physical pain from, you know, the sport that I played. And so now, you know, a lot of my focus and a lot of my recovery is now uh, I'm working on the physical part of, you know, of my being so that, you know, I'm I'm not living in, you know, pain every single day. And so that has been, you know what i've
0: been working on so yeah and you know that that brings up you know a totally different topic and it's something um that we've implemented at at trafalgar is pain management 1991 goal and your knee i had to look up that video i watched it a couple times and i am not a i am not a hockey fan um and know nothing about it but it was fascinating reading the state that you were in physically, so your knee was destroyed. I don't know how you physically were able to even stand. Tell us about that goal, because I'm just fascinated (laughs) by the amount of pain you were in, your physical condition, and what you were able to do. Well,
1: I think pain is mental, right? You learn how to block pain out. You know, as an athlete, you never want to be sitting in the stands watching your teammates go to war without you right Mm -hmm. that's probably the hardest thing is sitting and watching your team play and you're not able to contribute and so you know that's part of the reason why you know and it was obviously a very important time in the season and so you know you just you know, you just only to deal with it, right? And you know, we had we had a r- really different sort of attitude, right? It's that old school mentality, the suck it up mentality, and yeah. you know, you just you just went out and you know did your job because that, that's what you're expected to do. But obviously, I am paying for all of that, you know, now. And what's interesting is is that you know I, I can't block it out like I did when I was playing which is kind of interesting and weird all at the same time and so i am in a lot more physical pain now and so you know i see chiropractors and acupuncturists
0: does anything work better than the next or is it a combination of
1: different things it's a combination of all and because i'm in physical pain I, i have i can't work out right and so i know that working out would probably help me but i can't
0: what's in store for you coming up what are your plans do you have um are you doing any more writing are you doing any more um presentations
1: yeah yeah um let's see i'm off to pittsburgh next week and then i come home and i'm in Creston, dc and then we have a full schedule till beginning of june so yeah so a lot of speeches a lot of conferences and yeah so we're we're full out flat out busy and then june is golf season
0: yeah and i forgot in in my introduction you also have two honorary doctorate degrees
1: Mm -hmm. that that's probably the funniest thing that's come out of all of this right is that i'm a doctor (laughs)
0: <laughs> Dr. Flurry. Does anybody call you Dr. Flurry? <laughs>
1: no, no.
0: <laughs> you are doing a lot of work, too, um, in talking about mental health. I, I think that it it warrants the attention, even though it's got to be a little bit humorous, I'm sure. Um, oh, yeah. Your, your candid discussions on, on mental health and on abuse, is it it's one out of three... One out of three girls um, is sexually abused. One out of five, I believe those numbers are still about the same.
1: Yeah, but let's let's be honest. I think it's equal between girls and boys. That's what my 10 years of research has sort of told me, is that there are as many boys as there are girls that have had some sort of some sort of want, unwanted, you know,
0: experience, and we can only base it on people who are talking mm. about it—the ones that are able yeah. to talk about it. It was always fascinating. Yeah. In in um, when I was in private practice, um, it was such a that was a gift to to be able to do what I got to to do with private practice because I would have people that would come in fifties, sixties, holding on to secrets that they've never told another yeah soul and Mm -hmm. so many hold on to them and don't tell anybody but
1: you know the thing we don't talk about is trauma we don't talk about trauma and trauma is what brings us into mental health and addiction i find it interesting you know bell let's talk well what are we talking about what are we actually talking about well we're, we're actually talking about trauma trauma leaves us in emotional pain and suffering and that emotional pain and suffering any kind of emotional pain is mental health and until we unpack the trauma we're gonna struggle with mental health so how do we how do we end up dealing with this emotional pain Well we gravitate towards the dark side of life and we get involved in addictions how we cope with the emotional pain you know the addiction is the medicine you know, which which helps with, you know, our mental health issues. You know, fear, anxious, depression, panic attack, you know, those kind of things. And you know, I understand that, you know, there are certain types of mental illness that, you know, need medication, like bipolar and, you know, schizophrenia and these kind of things. They need medication. You know, general anxiety and general depression you know, is easily managed by using holistic practices.
0: Do you recall who, who said the quote, trauma is the human experience that binds us together? That's a new one for my wall. I am a, I am a quote collector. Um, mm-hmm. And when I heard you say that in one of your, your interviews, it went up on my wall. Trauma is the human experience that binds us together.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I heard it. Some lady stood up uh, at a conference. I think it was in uh, Bradford, Ontario, home of Wayne Gretzky, yeah. <laughs> of all places. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I said, "Yep, yeah, that's that's it, right? That's why we're we're all here. That's why we're all doing this."
0: Any plans for presentations or discussions in the Toronto area?
1: If you go on my website, we have an event tab on our website that basically tells everybody where we are.
0: And that would be theoflurry.life?
1: Yeah, theoflurry.life.
0: Very good. I really um, have enjoyed my time talking with you. and Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: And uh, yeah, that's it for today. Awesome. Until next time, this is your host, Melissa Martin, And you've been listening to Addiction Unscripted, the official podcast of Trafalgar Addiction Treatment Centers. For more information on what Trafalgar can do for you, visit us at trafalgarresidence.com or call 855-976-0322.